I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? Hello and welcome to another episode of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. I am Philadelphia Daily News columnist David Murphy, joined as usual by my trusty sidekick, Michael Q. Sealski of the Philadelphia Inquirer. My, who? Who? Michael what? Sealski? Who day? <laughs> All right. It's Michael C. Sealski. So we've got, we've got a, a very Philly-centric podcast for you in the hopper, as they say. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about the Eagles. Uh, Matt Breen will be joining us later. Uh, he's actually, Unfortunately. He's actually uh, in the studio at the moment. He's in the room right now playing with his phone, um, but he'll be on later and... You and, can experience uh, the, the full brain at and, that point. And Matt Gelb will join us as well. Mike Sealski will not be with us for much longer, which is why... I got to get home. Which is why we're going to sit here and discuss a column that was written in the Philadelphia Daily News today? Uh, yesterday. Yesterday? Tuesday, yeah. This whole 24-hour news cycle kind of... I know, it's just it once, my, uh, you know, one day runs into the next, into the next. Um, Marcus Hayes wrote a column... Essentially saying that the Eagles should part ways with Howie Roseman if Jeffrey Lurie meant what he meant. Right. The idea being that if if when Jeffrey Lurie fired Chip Kelly and uh, kept Howie Roseman in place as the or returned Howie Roseman to his place of power as the uh, player personnel chief, that accountability would be uh, the number one priority for the organization. So Marcus's argument, therefore, was that if that's the case and if Jeffrey Lurie is to be held to his words then uh, Howie Roseman needs to be fired because this uh, the season obviously has not gone all that well and they are deficient uh, in talent at multiple positions. And so therefore, if you hold Jeffrey Lurie to his words, Howie Roseman should be out of a job. Well, let me ask you a question, Mike Sielski. Do you agree? And if you do, or if you disagree, what percentage of your... Uh of your consciousness disagrees. Are you 95% opposed, 95% in favor? I'm not a Howie fan per se. I see his, I see his flaws. The, I think the tattoo on the small of your back would suggest otherwise. It would. It would. Um, I have the one on my, my left bicep that says mother, and then the one on the small of my back that says Howie. So, um, you know, I'm a weird guy. What can I say? But um, I would point out that I'm not a Howie fan. I understand the limitations, the the weaknesses that he's had over time. I would not be in favor of firing him, though, at this point. If for no other reason, then you you can't keep doing this if you're the Eagles. This is how, we've talked about this, Murph, this is how bad organizations get bad and stay bad, is they keep making changes over and over again. You can't fire, that's why I would be against firing Doug Peterson as well. You can't clear house again 11 months or a year after... You gave you fired Chip Kelly, which was a year after you gave him all that power. That, that's too much upheaval over too short a period of time. That that's not a, a great argument as to why Howie. You know, if you think he's not been a great GM and uh, player personnel guy, should stay. But I do think that the argument of stability for stability's sake is something that should carry some weight with the Eagles right now. Uh, you know, they made their bed. They got to lie in it for a, a little while with Howie, with Doug, and with Carson Wentz. So let me ask you another question because this is this is something that I've been mulling over uh, 
like my like my cider. I've been mulling this over. <laughs> oh, and your wine. <laughs> and my wine. Um, there was a lot of talk after the Eagles traded up to snag Carson Wentz, and a lot of talk en route to that final uh, the, the final arrival at number two. Mm-hmm. You know how he was. I, I, I believe the word genius was even thrown yeah. around. Yeah, uh, magician at the very least maybe a genius magician for his ability to or a magical genius for his ability to swindle the Miami Dolphins out of the first, the number eight pick in the draft. It was number eight, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, in trading away Kiko Alonso and Byron Maxwell. Maxwell. Um, and then there was a further swindling of the Titans when an over the hill running back named, uh, DeMarco Murray, uh, was pawned off on those unwitting Tennesseans. Does this make Howie Butch or, the Sundance Kid, dude. You know I have no idea what. What? That means. <sighs> there we go. And this concludes bream, our. Bream, 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 bream. Let me back me up on this. Do you have any idea what Mike Silski just said? No, I wasn't paying attention. Good. Good. Right. I heard Sundance Kid. Do you know what that is? Isn't that a movie? Yeah, Butch Cassidy. It mo- it's a it famous a movie. movie. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance well, like, Kid. Give me a plot. Do you know the plot of it? Or who Butch is? Somebody's on a horse. Like, could you compare? <laughs> it? Yes. What's a horse? Sundance Kid, probably young. Like, how did the Sundance Kid get his name? He danced in front of the sun. He did dance. Clearly. Did he, did he yeah. dance in front of the sun? No. Okay. All right. So anyway. There, can a, we, there, can, my, wa- time is short. Can we get to the point? I just want to reinforce to you that there is a generational divide on this podcast. There is. There is. Um, so, so, what was my question to you? I don't know. Oh, so, no, all no, these no, moves so were how he was, so, how he so was, was a magic a, genius. Yes. Yeah. And this was not just Philadelphia Eagles fans. This was also the national punditry, um, who... We should probably point out relies on Howie to some extent. Oh yeah, to break news. Um, but there was a lot of talk of of Howie's genius. Now, you know things as they tend to do played out slightly differently from public reaction in the immediate aftermath of them. And I believe Demarco Murray is currently leading the NFL in rushing. He's got 1,100 yards at least. And well, good. I don't have to look that up. I was just about to do that. Um, Demarco Murray is is leading the NFL in rushing. The Tennessee Titans are the the wunder kids. The wunderkinds of the the NFL right now, um, people love them. Yep, one of the most bet on teams in Las Vegas. I will have you know. The Miami Dolphins weren't having a terrible season either with the, Kiko Alonso and Byron Maxwell. They were not. Although Byron Maxwell did get benched at one point, but he Kiko did. Alonso has has generated really good. a lot of for for as many negative headlines as Kiko Alonso generated in Philadelphia last year while he was playing on that you know partially torn knee. He has generated that much in positive press down in South Florida. I mean, they're they're yeah, they love him. Down I will there. tell you, I will tell you this: as somebody who has not watched a ton of Dolphins games, but I've watched at least a couple, he still looks very small. Yeah, um, he does. But he does. The fact is, he's he's the coaching staff says they love him as their middle linebacker. Um, they seem to be making it work in a way that the Eagles couldn't. And and then you look at the NFC East, um, and you look at some of the offseason moves made over there: the drafting of Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott. Although the latter may be starting to shake out in a slightly yes. different uh, different turn, uh, the Giants signing Janoris Jenkins, Damon Harrison, Leon Hall. Uh, who else am I missing? Drafting Eli Apple. Yep. Landon yep. Collins last yeah, year. Yeah, this is this is a topic you just wrote about today, Wednesday. Um, going back to um, kind of a uh, a back and forth that you had with Jimmy Kemsky from PhillyVoice.com during the off season about how uh, I don't remember that. <laughs> his uh his belief that the Eagles had far and away uh the best the most talent of any defense in the NFC East. I will and tell you what. You taking issue with that. 
you guys know me. I'm, I'm, I am an eternal optimist, dwell only on the positive. But my favorite days are the days I wake up and say, you know what? I'm going to mess with Jimmy Kemsky today. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, not, it's not he who laughs first. My favorite days are the days where it, I wake up and look at the clock. And best. I look at the clock and say, wow, my two-year-old let me sleep till after 6 a.m. But yes, so... Uh, so anyway, the point summing, being... Summing it all up. What, it, what, what grade would you have given Howie... Um, would you give Howie for his offseason? And, and what role would you say that offseason has played? Uh, good, bad, or neutral? Um, or non-applicable in I, this Eagles, you know... Campaign. I think it's too early to grade him on the offseason. I will say because the moves, the whole point ostensibly was to build and sustain success over time. We're going to go get a franchise quarterback who's going to be here for 10 years. To That seemed, you know, after they, once they settled on what an aim of the offseason was going to be, because remember it started out with we're going to build a playoff team and Sam Bradford's going to be our quarterback. Okay, fine. If I take you at your word and your actions now, if the aim of the offseason was to get Carson Wentz and get a franchise quarterback, then I don't think you can grade him yet. I think it, I am very skeptical that this is going to work out well for them. And that that is no reflection at all on Carson Wentz as a quarterback. That has nothing to do with that. I think he's got a ton of potential. I think he's you know, in the right kind of situation. If he stays healthy, he's going to be fine. Whatever fine is, a solid quarterback like Matt Ryan, who if things go right could get you to a Super Bowl, a transcendent quarterback like Tom Brady at his best or Aaron Rodgers, I think he's going to be fine. But what they had to, what they felt they had to give up to get him and with Howie's spotty draft record, I don't think that they necessarily put themselves in a, put themselves in a position to maintain the kind, to establish and maintain the kind of success that they want. And I'm not ready to fire Howie for that yet. I'm not, in, I'm not into firing people from their jobs in my column anyway. I don't like doing it. It's just me. I understand why columnists do it and talk radio hosts do it. But I think it's too early to say one way or another, like, how you know how he's got to be fired now for this. Because it's too early to judge exactly how this is going to turn out. Okay. Is that reason? I mean, what do you think? Is that, you know, yeah. am I being too reasonable? Am I missing something where, like, you know, how he completely screwed up or, you know, the capacity for brilliance is still there? Am I being too reasonable? Only in it's Philadelphia not, would you ask that question. That's not exactly, do I look fat in this? No, it's not quite, but... Yes, Mike, you're way too reasonable. You're the, <laughs> you're the most reasonable person in the world. By reasonable, I mean, am I being too mealy-mouthed? That's probably a better word, way to put it. Uh, no, I think that, that, look, it's way too early to judge Howie's day-to-day, you know, microscopic moves. Um, you know, even, you know, DeMarco Murray, like, frankly, I think he was, uh, while DeMarco Murray clearly has, has, you know, shown people something this year, I still think it was the right move to move mm-hmm. on from him. You know, I think that he didn't like, want to be here, you know? Right. And, 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 and I just don't think he's, you know, I don't know that, that I don't know that he's as good or I don't know that he's as bad a running back as he was last year, but I don't think he was ever as good a running back as what the Eagles paid for, mm-hmm. I guess is the best way to say it. Um, you know, my issue with Hallie is more you know, big picture, um, or with the Eagles in general is more big picture. But the fact is they decided how he was the person to kind of execute whatever vision they had for the team. Right. And I think it's way too early to know whether, you know, they've, I mean, you got to keep in mind the parting of the, uh, all of this season was part of the big picture. Right. You know, even though, even if they didn't admit it. Um, right. That's know, the issue I have is that they, it took them so long to admit and to reconcile themselves to what the season was going to be that, uh, to me, it, it you know it kind of 
calls everything about their direction into question. They were they seem perfectly willing to go and try to make a playoff run with Sam Bradford. Uh, and Jeffrey Lurie even said the day he fired Chip Kelly that this should have been a playoff team, and that's part of the reason we fired him. Um, and yet they were willing to reverse course that quickly uh, and go after Carson Wentz. And then even after trading Sam Bradford, tell everybody, hey, Carson Wentz might make this offense better than even Sam Bradford made it. Um, which, you know, doesn't seem to be true to me, but I don't know, at least for this year anyway. Um, you know, so th- that's the issue I have, and I think it's a big-picture issue. I, I don't think you fire Howie based on this year. I think you have to you have to kind of ride with this um, in the same way I thought you kind of had to ride with Chip Kelly. I, I wouldn't have fired Chip Kelly after just 11 months. Um, I know how bad things are for him in San Francisco, but you know, you didn't know that then, and you made this huge commitment to a guy who did things differently, and you can't just pull the plug on something like that after less than a year. Yeah, I would say that I agree with just about all of that. And on that note... On that note, I got to go. Yeah, let's uh, let's bring in Matt Gelb and Matthew Breen. Um, well, let's welcome in the uh, dynamic duo, providing you with all your baseball needs. Matt Breen, Temple Zone, we are, and uh, Matt Gelb, obviously, Syracuse. We were just talking, actually, off-air about the winter meetings and some of the ex-Phillies that, that Matt ran into a bit before Young Green's time. But uh, you were saying there were tons of them around there? Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of weird how a lot of those guys from the the heyday, Phillies' heyday, toward the end of the heyday, the last the last Phillies postseason home run hitter, Ben Francisco, he was the last Philly to hit a postseason home run. Jaime He's, Garcia, right? Yeah, off of Jaime Garcia. It was game four. Three or four of the National League Division Series. It was four, I think. He's in St. Louis. Yeah, he's a pro scout now for the Angels. Uh, it's good to see him. He he was uh, in the Cliff Lee trade. Abanias, right? You said Raul Abanias. He works with the Dodgers now. Brad Lidge, who has he does a lot of radio work now, and and actually is pretty good. I was like, listening to it for a little bit, and Brad was always a good interview. And and I think at one point Comcast really wanted to hire him to be on the Phillies broadcast, but. He likes spending time with his family, and uh, so he does this radio show on Sirius XM, and he was at the winter meetings interviewing Matt Klentak, which was like a weird, like, cross, like... Colliding of Colliding, colliding of, of Phillies eras uh, at hand, so uh, it was uh, it was great winter meetings, right, Breen? Yeah, so I actually saw Lidge. I was coming out of dinner one night, and I was with uh, Cooney and Ryan Lawrence, and they know Brad. I don't know Brad, but so we crossed the street, said hi to him, and I thought it was funny when... I introduced myself. Hey, I'm Matt. He said, "Hi, I'm Brad." I'm like, I, I know you are. Like, thanks for introducing yourself. That's Brad. It was just funny. That is funny, but that is Brad Litch. He, he was very nice. Guy, he, he's definitely. a real dude. Yep. He uh, he he could have a long career in the game if he wants to. I don't know that he wants to, but uh, I know he's had coaching opportunities, broadcast opportunities. He, I don't think I'll ever quite see something. And Dave, you were there. Game, whatever of the World Series would it be? Game six? No, Game five of the game 2009 five. World Series when. Johnny Damon, yep. Johnny Damon stole two bases off him, and you know Brad's standing there for like f- almost an oh, hour. That was maybe game, that was Game Six, I believe. No, no, they lost Game Six. Was the clincher? They lost in New oh, York. Oh, this was that's right. Oh, no, this it was, is in it Philly. was Game Four. Then they won Game Five to this force a Game Six. Yeah, and then they Breen, lost you were. I mean, you were ushering I was, that I, game. I, so. I was. I anyway, Lidge, you know, Lidge stood in the clubhouse, you know, for for you know for maybe almost an hour, answering like the same questions over and over because it was a big group of people, and uh, that was you know. Uh, for for a reporter athlete relationship, I mean that 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 was pretty real. I mean Brad uh, was a stand up guy. Yeah, I always tell people 
like Bradledge is one of the realest guys you'll encounter. Um, Very smart man. Yeah. Yeah, like was it with pursuing, a lot of degrees? Said, yeah, he does have a lot of degrees now. Yeah, he had the guy like a religious archaeology degree. I'm probably messing this up, but he he uh, he has a lot of interest beyond baseball, which is cool. You don't always see that, and it's also necessary when you're a Phillies fan because the baseball is probably not going to be relevant again for at least another year. I would say. Um, I mean, nothing that we've seen this off season has surprised us. Correct. No, it's. I mean, we went to, down to D.C. knowing they weren't going to make any big splashes or pull off any blockbuster trades. They shored up the bullpen. Today they added to the bench. And I, I can't disagree with what they're doing. They're leaving spots open this season for young guys at AAA to play up to the majors. And, this, and no money is going to be tied down until 2019. And that's when they really could go after – some big name guys, and I would be shocked if we're not talking about Bryce Harper, you know, in the mix two years from now. So, well, let's let's. That's an interesting point, and I had asked Matt Klintek in spring training when I was down there if if he was looking towards that class at all. And if, you know, in hindsight, I believe that probably would have been tampering if he had said that he is. Um, but do you get the sense that they are very, they have it. That class is very real in their minds with regards to what they're doing right now. Um, I mean, forget Harper. You know, even if they don't want to go to the top of market, I mean, just guys who will be free agents between Manny now and Machado. then. Yeah. Manny Machado. That might be the Brandon guy. Belt, uh, Eric Hosmer. Like even, I mean, up and like the bad free agents are going to be pretty good. Jake um, Arrieta is a guy to watch. He's an up after 2017, so right. he's not in the. And there's a lot of Baltimore Phillies Arrieta connections that make it logical. You know, who knows again? But, but you know, the, the, the notion we always hear in New York, I mean, it's probably six times a baseball season Brian Cashman has to ask whether he's uh, – or has to answer whether he's clearing way for Bryce Harper. You know, and obviously he says the same thing Klintak told me, which is I'm not even thinking about 2018. But we never really hear the Phillies, you know, brought up into that conversation. Um, do you think they have a target in mind? I mean, do, do you think that their blueprint extends to the point where they're – They've got a depth chart of guys and and dollars they have they want allocated towards specific guys, you know, in the future free in future free agent markets. For sure. This isn't a day to day plan. It's a, you know, city of process right now, I feel like, and every team has a process and huh. they're Is that an, is that did you come up with that word? I read about these processes great, every day. And it's yeah. every every article in the paper, it's like trust the process or some term that and i'm actually and trying to not use the word, the P word. it's hard though somebody because it, it, i used it yesterday in a quote from yeah athletes say it now. i was at flyers practice yesterday and someone said you just have to trust the process somebody said it in the eagles lot like we all and we all look at each do other do you think kinky had it like trademark did he or no no now the nba trademarked it or mb trademarked it to use on nba licensed merchandise his nickname is now technically <laughs> The process. He, he's introduced the Sixers games. Again, this Joel, is why I'm not trying to use the word in my stories. It's hard, though. It is. but It's pretty bad. But anyway, What would your nickname I, be if you were to trademark one? Young Breen? Uh, I don't know. The end res- How about the end result? That's good. <laughs> it's like... Uh, the total package. Well, that one's no, already but, taken. But the end res- yeah, that's, that's Ruben Amaro Jr., buddy. The guru. But the end result that's is kind of... fancy football nickname. The end result is kind of like an ironic... Coin that one. A subtle, ironic play on the process. Whereas, like... You guys, you know, little people might concern mm. themselves with the process. Matt Breen concerns himself with the end result. Call me when you're done the process. 
<laughs> I'm here for the end result, baby. But anyway, it is a process for the Phillies. Yeah, and the process extends. That is probably when your young guys now are ready to win, and then you add the piece that puts you over the top. And if uh, if it's not Bryce Harper, like you said, it's Manny Machado. I I would be shocked if it's not. We're not here talking about Jim Tomey esque big time trade in a couple of years, and that's the tough part. You got to get through two years, but you at least have something to look forward to and watch J.P. Crawford and, you know, Dylan Cousins at AAA and all these young guys that we're writing about, you, you'll be able to enjoy them for two years and then the team will actually be able to contend. I know this is hard to sort of convey and justify and, and, and to, to get people excited about, but, like, nothing really matters. I mean, nothing actually matters right now. I mean, the 2017 Phillies uh, and this offseason – it it really doesn't matter. I mean this this really doesn't matter. <laughs> and I know it's hard to. I know it sounds so awful to say that, but like uh, they're thinking about nineteen and twenty. I mean that that is really every single move they make, with the exception of like signing Andres Blanco to a one year three million dollar. I mean the big moves that they are thinking about it is all thinking about nineteen and God. twenty and beyond. And 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 again, as Breen said, it's very hard to not understand why they're doing that. It doesn't make it any easier no. to to think about it or to realize that yeah, nothing I mean, I, matters. It's a, a horrible realization to have. I'm sure we've all had it at some point, but man, nothing matters. Get, I think you're you're branching off into topics other than baseball at this point. <laughs> it's a, Should we talk about life, guys? <laughs> well, does it matter? I think we're going to lose our jobs tomorrow. Gail just said what we cover doesn't matter. I know. Oh, of course it matters. My boss is listening. Everything matters. And we're both essential employees here. <laughs> I know you guys aren't making a great case for sticking around. Hey, check the click numbers. Oh, he said scoreboard. I think Gelb's a little ahead of you there, buddy. Breen. No, I'm saying as we're, Philly's coverage as a whole. I nice. said we're it's both still, essential, and that's why. And that's why it's hard because people are so still really interested, and that's awesome. Like that is awesome. And in the past, when owner, when ownership was very distrustful here in the in the in the 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 bad years of the '90s, the lean years of the early 2000s. Yeah, nothing mattered then, and there like wasn't any reason to think that it would matter in three years. Whereas right now, like you can you can see that it will matter in two or three years, and you can you know hope that on June 1st or July 1st, JP Crawford is playing shortstop for the Phillies, and and uh, Vince Velasquez is throwing six or seven innings every five days, and and so there are things that matter. But you know, in terms of hot stove off season things and these little moves they're making, you know. They're they're basically kicking the can, and, well, and 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 that's that is hard for some people to to internalize, and I understand that. My first year on the beat was 2008, and uh, the Washington Nationals at the time were not a very good baseball team, and did not appear to have much. There did not appear to be much of a process there, at least early on. And a guy named Chico Harlan um, covered the Nationals for the Washington Post. Syracuse guy. Syracuse guy who who, I mean, he left. He, he he's more of a journalist than I'll ever be. He left he left the Nationals to uh, go cover Japan yeah. for the Washington Post. I'm not sure where he is now. I'm sure he's doing something great. Um, he's not on this podcast. He is he is absolutely he does not have a podcast. I'll always have that over him. <laughs> um, but I used to say to him, watching this Nationals when the Nationals would be in town, I'd be like Chico, man, like I don't know how you do it. Like I could never cover baseball if I had to watch a crappy team every night because it's just so meaningless and like the only like i'm a much more i guess because i'm much like i'm a lot more big picture thinker so like 
if none of the games actually matter towards the big picture, it's like really hard to get into the games. Um, I, I think what is that is like I I love baseball. Like I still love baseball, and there's still little things you can pick out every night, and that's. I think that it does make it more challenging to watch because there are some nights where by the second inning, yeah, like it's done. But, uh, you know, at, at its core, like it's baseball. And, like you still try to find the little things. Like you see a Vince Velasquez start where you're like, right. oh, like he might have figured it out. Maybe he didn't, but like he might have figured it out. And you're like, hmm. But then, but I just remember like there were my first year on the beat. I remember like the first time the Phillies erupted for like, you know, 12 runs on like, you know, Home run by Howard, home run by Utley, home run by Worth. And it was like, you know what? It's really, you know, while the season can be a grind, and while I might rather be at the shore with my friends tonight, like, it's still fun watching the people who are the best in the world at what they do. And that's just not the case when you watch, you know, which I think is why some of the nights these these Phillies teams can put in front of you sit so poorly with the fan base because they're they're used to watching that excellence on a nightly basis and not like you know keystone tops type stuff you know i think the product will be better in 17 i don't know how much better and i also think it's wholly possible they win fewer games in 2017 than they did in 2016 and I, and i know that that would cause some consternation i don't know that it should i know that it would uh they were so lucky last year in all those one-run games that, like, they outperformed. If you want to go all, all you know, Bill James here, like they, Bill James's uh, formula for the Pythagorean uh, record and and theory. I mean, they they outperformed the record by like eight or nine games. I think they they were pretty lucky last year, so they could be worse this year in terms of record. Well, and it's funny how that shapes like our narratives too especially the early season success. And I'm thinking, I don't know which one of you guys wrote it, but I just remember seeing the headline. It might not even have been what the story said, but it was uh, like um, McCannon, like once again, enters spring searching for closer. And I'm like, he spent almost last season searching for closer. It's just that John Mark Gomez happened to fool everybody into thinking he might be that close. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, like John Mark Gomez saved 36 games for this team or whatever it was. Like that's that's the definition of luck, I believe. <laughs> and he's right? still on the team, so they still. I mean, that proves that he wasn't a real closer. If typically a thirty-six save closer would be the closer the next year right. too. So I mean, they're not dumb enough to be fooled by that. No, but it, that it just speaks to the point that a lot of things broke right for this Definitely. Phillies team. That first few they months were, they of the were season, twenty-four and seventeen. I know. And, and it was fun. Like it was cool yeah. to see. Like and and, and everyone sort of knew. Right. Like everyone in the you know in the clubhouse, even though maybe some guys thought it was, but in the coaching staff in the front office, like they knew. I mean, I think they knew, but it they didn't like not enjoy it. Yeah, I remember the the front office definitely knew because a anybody with half a brain should have known, but b and I don't say that to besmirch the character of the guy I'm going to name check, but. Um, a television television report. I remember a television reporter during that twenty four and seventeen um, run started asking was was asking Matt Clentak in a very dramatic fashion whether he needs to start thinking about whether to to start trading for guys to complete this team. Uh, and it was just kind of like funny to watch Clentak's reaction to a question that Clentak knew twenty four and seventeen on these Phillies is no time to start. Uh, <laughs> Preparing for the playoff, preparing the ship for the Crawford playoff run. The deadline. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Got that closer. But like you could see it on his face because he's like, wow, that's a really dumb question. Uh, but I have to answer it as if I believe 
the premise, which is that the Eagle, which is that the Phillies uh, might play their way into playoff contention by the end of this 2016 season. Yeah, and there's such like a fine line too because the front office doesn't want to dece- I don't, they don't want to deceive people, and some people will say that they have deceived me that like uh, you know that they're they're just push they're just delaying this or doing this, but they don't want to be like. Oh, like we think we can be competitive now, only to not knowing right. that they can't be competitive, and only to not be competitive. So, I mean, there, there's a line there. I mean, like, and you'd also, but you also want to keep people interested in your product too. It's, it's, it's a, it's hard. It I is mean, hard. It, it, it's, it's very hard. Patience is the hardest thing in sports. It Spe- really is. Speaking in life, maybe too. Philosophical gelp. It's getting very deep. It is getting very deep. Are Pull. you a patient person? Uh, probably not. No. Do you trust the, your own process? I don't know. I'm in the same place I was, you know, uh, seven years ago. So. Actually, you know what I've heard? Marriage is a process. Let's. We've never talked about your engagement, Matt. Matt Green got engaged. Yes. But, you guys are on the clock. So how did? Uh, I mean, how did it unfold? I saw the. I saw the Twitter picture. Mm-hmm. Um, but old fogies like me enjoy a go- good homespun story, just as much as I was involved in this. Actually, really? Yeah. Well, I was a tool in the process of the engagement. Oh, you're always a tool. And his girlfriend, who I haven't met. Was also a tool. So what happened? Give me the. Uh, well, we how does Gelb factor into this? And I'll, I'll give you the whole story, but I'll do it quick, right. not to bore anybody. We met at Temple in 2009. It's actually like the Inquirer's, um, the Inquirer's motto. We'll give you the whole story, but we'll do it in nice. 400 words or less. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. We met at Temple in 09 and then um, dated since. So I had the ring since last january okay but we wanted I, we had just moved in won the way for a year so you moved in that. together yeah you were right. cohabitating this is no questions this living is in story. sin does your family listen to this podcast do yeah they know? does like your fans does that's your, probably the only listeners we get is my mom and dad does your parish priest listen to this podcast <laughs> hope not he does email me though quite often <laughs> what did you tell him during your uh pre-marriage have you started the pre-marriage counseling yet no that's coming up so, sometime soon so should we delete that part about you two living together or are you going to tell them the truth? Well, we like spend the day together, eat dinner, and I go home. <laughs> <laughs> and then do you text each other while Whatever. watching this? Anyway, is us? so I had the ring and I waited through the season. And I didn't want to get engaged like during the Philly season because like I wanted to like have like a f- time off and like, you know, really be off. So it was like the first week. You didn't want to upstage the Phillies. No, I just didn't want to be like, oh, will you marry me? I got to go to the game. You know, I wanted to make like a weekend out of it and have, you know, a party and stuff. So we did the first, I, the first weekend after the Philly season, I said I had to go to speak at this workshop at Temple on a Saturday morning. And that me and Gail both got asked because my friend's mom is a journalism teacher at Temple. So she had asked me and Gail to come down. Gail's going to bring his girlfriend. So do you want to come too? And we'll go get breakfast, breakfast afterwards. Cause I, I knew she, you know, you want, I wanted her to be like dressed up. Because I knew she would want that, so but she didn't fall for any of this. She's way too smart. I wanted her to be dressed. Up. No, you know what? I don't know. I just didn't want to be like, oh, do you want to go to Temple? Because I go to the bookstore. And she wears, make sure like, you wear nice clothes. And she wears like, don't wear those sweatpants, yeah, girl. Like, or like, because we'll go out, and I'll just wear like sweatpants if we're just going to like something casual. But it had to be like an event. So like, we're going to this, and then it was at the bell tower. Her friend's a photographer, so she was like waiting at the bell tower, no. and I proposed at the bell tower, and. She knew it was coming anyway, but still got emotional, so it, it worked out very well. She so said she yes. knew she knew that day she knew it was coming, or she just knew uh, at some nah, point she it was knew, coming? I don't know. She, she's r- r- smart, and I can't fool her or anything, so she she probably knew the whole time, but she was playing nice. But then I think I tricked her, like, that Wednesday, because I, I had, like, D- 
de- other details about the workshop. I forgot what it was, but it was like she's like I kind of thought you were. Um, it was real, but then she figured out it wasn't. Now does she have a name? Tara. Okay, Tara. Tara Breen. Yes, soon to be. Yesterday was her last birthday before she's Tara Breen. Ooh. Wow. All these big life. Did events. you watch it unfold, Gelb? Or I know I wasn't there. Oh, you were just. I was just a prop. I just I told Gelb we were eating. Uh, so this workshop was completely invented, is what you're saying. It was totally oh, fake. Okay. It was just a way to get to Temple on a Saturday morning, and I wanted to be there before anyone was on campus. So we go to the bell tower, and of course it's like eight o'clock in the morning, and they're setting up for an event. Are you kidding me? That's so embarrassing. Like there's people around. I, Cause I hate being on stage. Like now I feel like all these people are gonna see this engagement. It's gonna make this big production, but for whatever reason, like it, it was like we were in a vacuum and no one noticed. It was really cool. Like. I looked up and like the woman that was like on her laptop sitting on the bench like still was on her laptop like didn't even notice like I just got engaged it, it worked out perfect smooth and then every, our family was waiting back at the house and it was nice nice day that's awesome did you approve of her outfit yeah <laughs> <laughs> alright uh, Gail you haven't gotten engaged yet have you no okay we'll, we'll just end that one we'll end that discussion right there in case your girlfriend's listening um or is his girlfriend no longer? Oh, no, no. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I when, just hope that when, she's not listening nice. to this. When Gelb asked her to go to the bell tower, she'll know what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be honest with you, man. Every time you say the bell tower, I just keep picturing that Texas, the... the yeah. Yeah, the At shoot. YouTube. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like the belt. <laughs> like this back in the 70s. Will be deleted. <laughs> yeah. Um, turns out, do you know that guy? That guy, structure. actually, it turns out he had a uh, brain tumor. Uh, back in the... We're talking about... What's his name? Back in the 70s. Um he like thought something was wrong with him because obviously he was mentally disturbed uh, and he like after the deed was done he like left a note that said autopsy my brain essentially so whatever how are you going to transition from this I know uh, well let's talk about uh, Richie Schaefer <laughs> he also got recently engaged did he no I, mean, I have no clue um, so Richie Schaefer Schaefer for, for, for people who like myself had no idea that this move was made um, was a utility player the Phillies claimed off of waivers today in addition to signing uh, Andres Blanco. Is he the major league guy? Richie Schaefer? Richie Schaefer? Yeah, he's got big league time. Why are you looking at me? I thought said the major league guy. Like, is he a major league guy? Like, is he going to... Uh, he's played he's a little shot. bit. Yeah, like, when you said they, they, they addressed their bench today, were you referring to Andres Blanco or were you referring both. to Richie Schaefer? Andres Blanco is a lock for the bench. Schaefer, add him to the mix for guys that are going to compete for a bench job. Blanco's a weird... Like, is he... What does the rest of the league have against Andres Blanco? Because I feel like... I mean, he's put up numbers pretty much every time he's... Uh, although, I guess he... I guess he kind of leveled off last year. Um I don't know that anything has anyone has anything against him. I think he likes playing for the Phillies, and the Phillies really like him, and they're going to give him three million. I think he got one something last year. Mm-hmm. He's his career is effectively over a couple years ago. Yeah. He's done pretty well for himself, and he's a. I mean, no, as I just far think as, that like a playoff team might have a use for a Andres Blanco. I think I think that was that could have been a possibility, but I think I think uh, he liked what he had here, and I think the Phillies were really happy to have him back. He made it pretty clear, especially at the last day of the season, talking to him that he, he didn't know where he was going to be this year, but he, he genuinely hoped it was, you know, back in Philly. Hmm. Um, and you figure he's a, he's also in line for a bench role? He's, I would say he's a lock to Cesar, – Cesar Hernandez back at second? Yep. Crawford, I mean, yeah, Dallas at shortstop. The only, like, the, I guess the only two, like, bench locks right now would be uh, Andrew Knapp, the catcher, yep. and then Andres Blanco – 
your backup middle. Oh, is he out of options? Nap? No, they just they need a catcher. Did and, he play uh, last year? Did Lehigh he? Valley. Okay. They Alfaro is going to go to AAA, and he's going to get the majority of playing time there. And Nap is twenty five years old, and, and it's time. And he'll back Cameron Rupp up. Yeah. Yep. And perhaps overtake him at some point. Well, I think the idea would be that Alfaro in twenty. 17 is your everyday catcher. Or not 2018. I can't even get my years right. You're right. The idea would be that Jorge Alfaro in 2018 would be your everyday catcher. That's their hope. And for 2017, they'll, they'll see how Rupp and Nap do again. And now you have uh, – Matt Breen has a story on Philly.com at the moment. Uh, J.P. Crawford is at the top of uh, Baseball America's prospect rankings. No, for, for the Phillies, he's their number. They, oh, they okay. Did their, they haven't done the top 100 yet? No. They did their annual every team, and today was the Phillies' day. And Crawford's, Crawford's number one, one, obviously. Okay, so that's for not the second straight year. So tell us something we don't know. Uh, what was he last year? I, I do think, though, that pe- some people, maybe not everyone, but some fans have forgotten that the Phillies had the number one pick in the draft last year. And no, like Mickey Moniak is not Bryce Harper. Right. He might not be Stephen Strasburg, which is a bad comparison because he's a pitcher, but Mickey Moniak is, is like, could be a pretty good major league player. And people have sort of forgotten about him. And I think he was ranked. Two by baseball America? Yeah, today. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Number well, one. I mean, he's, he's a number old. one pick. I mean, he should be, you know, the, he, there are very few number one picks and, like, immediately is, is a top talent in a system. And people are like, oh, you know, a lot of these guys are kind of low ceiling or, or have major flaws. And, and they do. That's that's why they're prospects. I mean, I think. Right. You know, there, there's, there's – and no, do the Phillies have the best system in the majors? They don't. No. I mean, I think the Yankees or – the, the Dodgers, probably the Yankees, have the best farm system in baseball, but the Phillies are right up there. I mean, they, they have improved they've improved the, the talent bar significantly. So, uh, so I wanted to ask – I thought of this today, and I figured you, one of you guys might know. Crawford, you know, goes to the majors, no longer a prospect, and Moniak would right. obviously move to one and be 19 years old. Who was the last 19-year-old Phillies number one prospect? Jonathan C- uh no, I guess he, I don't know if he ever got to be number one because Don McLaren was always. It's a good question. I don't know. Um, Baseball America has like a list of the yeah. former top prospects, but it's I mean, a good question. We'll have to, we'll to look it up. Yeah, so we'll, we'll tell tell us about what what his. Um, I mean, the last I heard of Mickey Moniak was at the draft when he looked like he was about sixteen and a half years old. Uh, how did he do last year in the system? Where did he top out? What's the word on him? Has he started eating his Wheaties? Golf Coast League last year, you know, the last few months of the season, probably go to Lakewood this year, and he was at the winter meetings. Um, he received the Baseball America Award, and supposedly he, he looks a lot bigger. You know, he gained 25 pounds or something of muscle, and I think that's something they, you know. might not be 25 pounds best, of muscle, yeah. but best shape whatever, of his 25 life. pounds of something. Which, at that, that's the one age where that might actually be physiologically possible because yeah, he's i mean he's so young and it was it, it's fast it was fascinating people people would ask me like oh yeah what did you think of mickey moniak i'm like hey all i've done is watch some grainy youtube videos and yeah. talk to the kid in person but yeah and he'll be he'll be at lakewood next year probably for the whole year but yeah. it's like impossible like to even know what he's going to look like in five years oh, no. look, i mean he looks like like yeah i mean you've looked at pictures of yourself in high school <laughs> like, it's fat <laughs> i probably looked like a power hitter bat me fourth <laughs> Um, but he, so he played. Did he play well in the Gulf Coast League? <laughs> yeah, he bat, he played well. Okay. And uh, he held I, his own. But this will be nice. He'll be Acqu- well. According to the story you wrote, he had a 340 on base percentage and 176 yes. at bats, uh, hitting 284 
And they're convinced he's going to stick at center field, yes? Yep, athletic outfielder, um, pretty fast, right? Good tools and all that. And I, I just think this season we'll be able to actually see him. And you think he could start at Lakewood? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Nice. The only other option would be number Number one overall picks. Chan. Yeah. Their first full season are starting in a full season affiliate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's great. Let's talk. All right. I don't know why this. I know why. Because he still looks like Mickey Moniak. But um, let's talk about. Uh, I know where this is going. Where is it going? Are you going to want to ask about Carlos Tochi? I absolutely am going to ask about Carlos Tochi. Um, what's the deal with him? Are, are we giving up on him finally? He's had a tremendous winter ball. And I actually thought that. I didn't think he was going to get picked in Rule 5, but then I talked to a scout who said. Yo, we just got a, a scout from another organization. We got a really glowing report about Carlos Tochi a couple weeks ago in Venezuela, and he's like, we he kind of moved up on our list a little bit because, uh, you know, we 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 saw him during the season. We kind of saw the same thing we've been seeing, but then, you know, we had a guy. We had one of our guys file a report from Venezuela. Like, whoa, like this guy is having a great winter, and he looks a little different, and you know, he's 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 basically. Moniac, but probably with a, a lower ceiling now. I mean, they, they they drafted above him, and now this has been two winners in a row when Tochi has been unprotected and not taken. So that speaks more to his uh, inexperience, I think, than than his talent level. But uh, you know, he's probably going to go to Reading this year, and and uh, he just he needs to put on strength and, and he needs to to be stronger. And it just never has really happened for him. But there's, there are people in the organization who still like him. There are some who don't. There's kind of split on him. Yeah. There, there have been people in the organization that have been swearing for the last four years that he just needs, he just needs to fill out and he'll start hitting. I've and always been a Tochi believer. I've watched him play center field a couple of times and it's real. I mean, he's a major league center fielder. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The problem is he's hitting in five years in the minors. He's hit, 259 310 327 for a 637 OPS. Um, not good. No, especially coming off of that that 2015 first half or I guess the majority of the season when he he actually showed a little bit of pop. But, but this this speaks to a larger thing about, you know, Baseball America releases its top 10 prospects day and 10 is a very arbitrary number. I think what evaluators from other teams say about the Philly system and what they've said to me is that it's a very deep system without a necessarily like a a, a huge impact guy like maybe J.P. Crawford, Mickey Moniak is that guy. But, you know, this is a system that's mostly built on its depth. And like Carlos Tochi, we're talking about him. He's probably isn't even in their top 20 right now. But five, but three years ago, he, he, you know. He was in their top 10. <laughs> and, and, and and if they had the system of three years ago, might still be in their top 10. You know, the, the guys who, and they'll, you know, Baseball America comes out with its top 30. You know, they come up with their handbook, which I highly recommend buying. It's their top 30 for every team. It's very good. It's great scouting reports, great resource. You know, the guys that they rank from 11 to 20, you know, probably you could have made a case for any of them being number 10 on their on their list today or number nine or whatever. I mean, there's, there's a lot of... There's a lot of inventory there, and and uh, inventory is a is such a uh, negative word, I guess, because you hear inventory like, oh, he's a depth guy, but there are like real like major mm-hmm. league players, I think, in this system, just well, not high high ceiling, not a lot of high ceiling guys, at least at the top. At the bottom is where in the low minors is where you find the the high ceiling. Well, let's run through the list really quick. Um, JP Crawford, the question I had about him is, I read from somewhere, it might have been Clentac, it might have been uh, a Cannon. Saying recently to one of one of one of you two that uh, Crawford has as good a command of the strike zone as any you know prospect, whoever said this has ever seen, but he, he his numbers were not great last year. Um, 
at AAA. He still isn't really putting up um, power numbers um, that you might you might have hoped for when when the Phillies drafted him. Uh, what happened last year? Have expectations changed at all for him? What does he need to do to earn the call up and and be the player that that um, you know the Phillies hoped for? He was one of the youngest guys in in the league last year, so international league. Yeah, so that would, um, I mean, attribute to some of his his uh, they test, regression they, they numbers. Him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely they t- pushed him to AAA. You got to test there, and he'll obviously start the year there. And I, I think you, you want to see his average go up a little bit, and strikeouts were a little bit more strikeouts than walks last year, which isn't the normal for him. So I would like to see you know him walk just a little bit more, and uh. Just a little more strength. I mean, I think, and that's yeah. usually one of the last. Again, remember, I, I, I'm going to mess up the age. I think he's 21. Well, turned 22 in this January. He just turned. He turns 22 in January. He's he's young. Still. Did you send him a card? Yes. Okay. Surprise uh, party. Yes, 21 years old. Um, very young. You the, uh, five and a half, according to Baseball Reference, five and a half years younger than the average AAA player, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. He was three. Even at at Reading, he was three years younger than most players at Reading when he started. Um, it's hard to teach plate discipline. Yes, and uh, he was born with it. Simple as that. And in this game, that maybe is, he's uh, born with it. That so maybe it's Maybelline. That's way before your guys' time. No, I've heard that. Uh, that that that's a. Uh, and it's not the sexiest. It's like Holman. Plate discipline is not the sexiest thing. It is not. Like Dylan Cousins, you know, forty home runs. It's it's pretty sexy. But it. But I'll tell you what's pretty sexy is even numbers and. <laughs> J.P. Crawford has 232 career walks against 243 career strikeouts. Like, that's that's always cool when I look at. Yeah. It's kind of like the inverse of what his uh, on-base and slugging percentage was there this was year. which was when it was even, exactly even last year. Yeah, you know, for most of his career forth. it has yeah, been. Yeah, it was pretty cool. But then you have the flip side where his – this also intrigues me. When got, I call it the Ben Revere. It's, it's like the uh, – uh, what's the guy's name? 200. Who's, who's the 200 hitter? Mendoza? Yeah. It's like the I call it the Ben Revere line, which is uh, when your your on base percentage is higher than your slugging percentage. <laughs> and JP Crawford's was three twenty eight on base and three eighteen slugging last year. So wh- how do you how do you turn that around? Just just add weight? He got to see some better pitchers. I think look, I think adversity for a player who really hadn't had any adversity in his career yet is a really good teaching mechanism. But and I think that's what they sort of anticipated with him. He he look, he got a he got a little dose of reality. Like you're not the the he was the the best at a lot of levels in his in his life and he was not the best last year and I think that can be a good teaching tool. And now that I'm a columnist, I can be the one to say it. JP Crawford seems to me a little too cool for school and has always struck me uh he's he's always struck me like he carries himself like a big leaguer, you know, which is cool, I guess. Um but is there any sense in the organization that that trickles down into his um, play necessarily if he thinks he's just killing time before he gets up to the majors? And clearly there are some very real things he can work on. I mean, it wasn't just last year. Like his on ba- 372 career on base percentage, 387 career slugging percentage. It's just one thing I've always been looking for out of him. Like, can he learn how to, you know, especially now that they hired Matt Stairs as their hitting coach and clearly are looking to kind of go back to the Charlie Manuel school of, of hitting, um, yeah, of course. which is I mean, fine if they, if they have ball a, drive. a shortstop who's a, a bu- average to above above average defender and is getting on base at like a 370 clip in the majors, like that's a really, really valuable player. Yeah, of absolutely. course, you'd like him to be slugging a little more, but you, you wrote a lot of, in the spring, Breen, about like him working with Boa and 
you could probably talk to that a little bit about just sort of his, his willingness or yeah, his, his demeanor. I mean, just sort of, what he, you're saying is he definitely does carry himself, you know, like a uh, a superstar, and he he knows he's very good, and he's not afraid to show that he's you know the number one prospect or whatever. But there's a side that he doesn't show that often, and, and it's getting to the ballpark at seven in the morning. He doesn't have to be there till eight thirty, and he's working out with Larry Boa, and he, he's the one that's actually going to Boa and saying, "Hey." Can we work out in the morning? And then the same thing at Double A AA and Triple A. Dusty Watson, he'll you know to tell you all about how hard this kid works and how all this guy wants to talk about is baseball. And he, you know he loves baseball, but I think he likes to portray to us at least. And I've never had a problem with J.P. Crawford. No, I, very nice guy. But I think he he likes to be you know this cool yeah, kind of character. Got a little J rolling. No, nobody offers a better reality check than Larry Boa, right? For sure. <laughs> uh, and speaking of of. This is actually kind of transitions into our next guy, Nick Williams. Um, what's the what's the organizational outlook on Nick Williams after a kind of a a year in which he had some ups and downs uh, regarding his attitude? He admitted last year that he was he struggled because he was too caught up in looking in, looking to Philadelphia and why am I not in Philly yet instead of you know being where you are and you're in AAA and getting yourself out of AAA. Uh, Be where your feet are. That's exactly. what Chip Kelly always used Matt to say. Matt Rule once said that. Really? Yes. Maybe all these coaches Moment just read of silence. He's say a very <laughs> forlorn look on Breen's face. Matt right Breen now. is 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 one of the biggest Temple fanboys uh, in Temple Owl Nation. And I, I mean, do you want to weigh in on the coaching? Hire real quick. I, I, he was despondent two, after Matt Rule left. For How long is this two, podcast going to be? We're only at 49 minutes I have two right now. quick temple points. One is that am I allowed to be a temple football fan but be against the football stadium? Yeah, so are you finally coming around? I that? did. The recent presidential election showed me that there's and, – and I live in a city that we we need a soda tax to pay, to pay for public schools. So I, I don't – no money should be going towards a football stadium when we have a perfectly fine football stadium. Thank you. And, uh, if Temple, if Temple wants to front the, the money that with no ties to yeah, for sure. tuition to taxpayer money, whatever, then that's their right. And, and yeah, I think, and I, I think I, Bree, you know what? You, I think you've made some strides in your your consciousness I as I a human. I was proud of that one. That was that was the one thing. And then the coaching hire, I I, I did not know who this guy was on Monday. I can admit. No, that. but if he's a defensive coordinator at Florida, you'd... but I looked him up. I said, "Wow, Florida is a really good defense." Oh, he was at Mississippi State. Wow, and he was a recruiter, one of the top recruiters in Mississippi State and Florida. And Mississippi State, this whole like Stark Vegas thing, and how they kind of—that's all recent. It's all within the last seven years. And he was a part of that building Mississippi State into this swag. They, they, you know, they used that word a lot, and they they made Mississippi State cool. And he was doing the same thing in Florida, and that's what you need at Temple, which Matt Rule did. And I think he can take it to another level. I believe, pol- cool. I, I believe polishing a turd is the term you're looking for. You for need sure. someone who can polish my, a turd. My, my only problem you with need it to be is a that salesman. Yeah, but my only problem with it is that Temple is now willing to put itself in this like sort of perpetual cycle where like they weren't looking for a guy to be here for. And maybe there isn't a guy out there who would be here for ten years, but they're now in a cycle where like and and, and my alma mater, Syracuse, is very much in this too, where uh, you're looking to hire the next best thing, Doug knowing Marone. that you lose the next best. Like they thought Doug Marone was going to be their 15 year hire, but you know he made a mistake there anyway. But uh, they're in this like perpetual cycle now, and that maybe and that's fine. That's that could work for them because five years from now, if you know Jeff Collins is leaving, that means Temple had five good years of football. Okay, that's so fair. That's that's a positive, and you'll find a new Jeff Collins if he's a defensive coordinator somewhere else. 
And I like the emphasis on defense because I think Temple need like Temple's not going to be able to be an offensive powerhouse. Their best way to be not elite but legitimate, I think, is to build a good defense, and you can build that, and then your offense because the last two years or you know this year and last year the defense is what carried the team i figured that from what i understand that rule kind of changed his philosophy he on was the fly. an offensive guy then he said you know what we're gonna ground a pound and we're gonna play defense and it worked and i think if they keep building on that and my only last concern is anthony russo who's the quarterback from archer wood i'm i'm concerned that he's not gonna stay but he's tweeted oh, all you're about really that. into this i love temple football so where where else could that kid go? A kid from I'd, Wood? Where else do he have was, offers? Re, he was committed to Rutgers, decommitted. Uh-huh. Les Miles went to his house in Bucks County and tried to get him to go there. And then LSU has a great up, history with quarterbacks. He Still, LSU or Temple, he chose Temple, which I thought was pretty cool. And uh, I, just, I hope a kid like that stays, but that's my my fear that you know you might lose somebody like that. All right, well, back to stuff people care about. So Nick Williams. Right. I think the, the organization at the end of the year was, was very – was very candid about Nick Williams publicly on the record. Like Joe Jordan, the, the farm director, said, you know, he needs to improve his attitude. And but is that a, all a good he challenge? I, I always well, actually, if you if you have his baseball reference page in front of you I right do. now, which I think you do, like look up his numbers from the beginning of the go to his game log and look up his numbers from the beginning of the season until July first. Okay. Or even like July fifteenth. Talk, talk actually. Discuss Nick Williams in the meantime. And I? and the 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 stark contrast between his numbers from from April one to July fifteen and from July fifteen to September one is unbelievable. I mean, he just he he totally became a different hitter, a different player, and the Phillies and both the player believe that it was a a lack of mental focus and it, and both of them really kind of turned around on like the same day Crawford and Williams in AAA and they both finished super strong and it was weird that you could tie it to like that same I remember writing that a few times and Williams the last Williams I think the last I think it was like the last six or seven weeks of the year he had like 60 something strikeouts and maybe like two walks which is kind of like hard to do Breen, I mean, can you like give me to do. can you give me a ballpark of when that day would be so I can I, I, I said July, July I said 15. from April 1st to July 15 just check just read me what is April 1st to July 15 okay Let's see here. His numbers were, were pretty were really good for a twenty two year old or whatever in triple A. Um let's see. God, don't you know how to use baseball reference? No, I'm just trying to find where the actual because July he, he turned it on way before July fifteenth. No, I'm saying look from April for give me his stat line from April one to July fifteenth. I thought he got off to a slow start like Yeah, no, 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 no. Other way around. Uh, what are you doing? Well, th- this is throwing me off because this is really boring. Yeah, but anyway, I, I I still have faith in Nick Williams to be a, a player, uh, you know, in the major league. All right, well, case in point. So Nick Williams from April 8th to May 19th. That's too small. Hit 254, 285, 381 for 665 OPS. So, but you're saying it was the – His last his last six weeks were, were, bad. were truly bad. Okay, all right. I mean, he had about 60-something strikeouts against two walks, which is not acceptable. I mean, that, that – that's not going to get you to the major leagues, and and he was going to get promoted. Like they were going to promote him in really? September, and he he played his way out of that promotion. Yeah, April ninth, April eighth, July nineteenth, he hit two ninety, three twenty five, four sixty three, seven eighty eight OPS, eight home runs. Um, Again, for a guy who was pretty young for his level, he was he was doing fine. He really was. But you think the strikeouts are an attitude thing? 
Well, I think I think the plate discipline was he totally lost focus. Okay. If you take the strikeouts and the walk numbers and compare them at the end of the year, it was just he was swinging at everything. I mean, he was just he was just trying to swing his way out of there, which wasn't the right attitude to to really have. Wow, uh, so Reese Hoskins, Reese Hoskins is a legit prospect, huh? First base prospects are tough, according to Baseball America. Number six in the organization. He's got. He just. I just always thought he was. He was just a uh, kind of Matthew Rosati type. Oh no, he's better than that. I, but I mean, but first base Darren prospects are really hard. Like first base prospect, you got to hit. You got to get on base and you got to hit because it's such a. It's not a premium position and you can move anyone there. So. When, um, it's, is Dylan Cousins? He's number ten. Okay. What? Uh, why would that be? The strikeouts, right? And a lot of the homers came at home in a you know small ballpark. I think not against left-handed hit pitching. Yeah, ben Badler, who did the the rankings for Baseball America, who does a lot of international stuff too, is really good. I think he wrote in his write-up like Dylan Cousins is such, is a player of extremes, and it's true. I mean, you can ask, and I've asked a lot of different people in the game for their opinion on, on Dylan Cousins, and it's very divided. What's I mean, the they, what are the two? Well, I, I, the best comparison I've used, and I think I've used this in print, was a, a scout who said, "Is he Russell Branding or is he Adam Dunn?" I mean, there, there's there's uh, he projects for some people as an everyday right fielder with uh, elite power, and he projects for some other guys as a strong side of a platoon, uh, mostly against right-handed pitchers who you know strikes out a lot but hits enough home runs to justify a presence. And uh, he's he's a tough one to project. Uh, we're going to find out a lot about him in 2017. Has the Aaron Altier ship sailed, or is there is there some? Uh, suspension of disbelief on the organization's part looking towards 2017. I think he can be a fourth outfielder. Okay. I, I think they, they're, they'll, they've made some judgments, but they'll withhold judgment because of the injury. And I think uh, even though we had written and talked that the injury is a thing that takes a while to, to rehab, you know, they had been sort of like, oh, he's fine, he's fine. Or like, this is great. Everything is okay. And probably not. But, you know, Roman Quinn has a higher upside certainly than Aaron Altier does. Roman Quinn, the, a, a continued fixture on this list, is number eight. Um, I think the Phillies really want him to be the opening day right fielder. Yeah, that's I read on there that he's the one guy that has the best chance of these ten to be in the in the majors on opening day, and I'd, I'd be shocked if he's not. They, they really, you, they really want him to be the right health, fielder. His health, I guess, would be yeah, a, I, one of the main reasons why he's not. He gets hurt in spring training or something like that. So but, in, 20, in uh, 15 games last year, he was 15 for 57. Uh, 263, 373 on base percentage, which, I mean, that's going to play at pretty much any position. Um, too many strikeouts. His, stats, swing, so. his swing gets big, but it's it's that when he got on base and like yeah. and, and anyone who watched games in September saw it. You know, he's oh stealing. man, like he he has game changing speed, and there are a few guys who you can say that about. And it was like really fun to watch. Uh, he's and you think right field is where he he slots? Yeah, okay. He can play all three right now, but. Yeah, right field is probably the opening right now. How many of his, and I'm, I'm looking for the answer to this, but maybe you know it off the top of your head. Um, like, is he a guy who can consistently – oh, here we go. One bunt. Uh, one bunt hit, six infield hits. He, he laid down a lot. of he, he laid down – I don't know how accurate that is, but he, he tried to bunt for a hit mm-hmm. almost every night. But I'm thought, saying that right? – like, like, that's pretty – I mean, infield hits are pretty sustainable. I mean, when you look at, like, guys who can beat out infield – you know, slow rollers are guys who can beat out slow rollers. I mean, see Juan Pierre, you know? Yeah, as long as he has healthy calves and hamstrings. And and that was – was that a soft tissue thing last year too? It was an oblique, right, at the end of the year. and But during the year in Reading he got hurt. 
Um, yeah, it was rib Achilles. cage injury a couple times. I mean, he had the Achilles injuries, had concussion problems. He's had calf problems. He's had it all. God, 23 years old. It feels like he's well, older than Back to Cousins real quick. Of the 10 guys, that's the for me, that's the most intriguing player on the 10 for 2017. That's the one guy I really want to see what happens to him this year. What he does at AAA in a big ballpark. We're not a, a normal size ball. Better pitching, better, better breaking better balls, pitching. more lefty. You know, just how long do you expect to see him in spring training? A while. Yeah, the I think they're going to keep him around for a while. I mean, they these, they kept those young guys around a while last year too. Also, because there's going to be some guys who won't be around because the the esteemed WBC. Uh, so there, there could be some some at bats for him like deep into camp. God, I think he'll be around for a while. Uh, Dylan Cousins, for those of you who who are in the dark, have been in the dark for the last ten minutes, was a second round pick out of uh, Chaparral High School uh, in 2012. Big the, time football recruit, Rick yeah. Rodriguez was all over him, and the Phillies loved him. Uh, I think this was Ruben Amaro's favorite player that they drafted that year. Yes, um, and then he kind of just disappeared for, you know, he, I don't want to say disappeared, but he just didn't didn't take the world on fire right away until a couple of years ago. Um, and then last year, at, I mean, really until last year, I guess, uh, 276, 355, 91 with 40 home runs um, at Reading. I give some Phillies minor league people credit because you can even go back and check. I don't know when I tweeted it, but I tweeted it. Philly, you know, and among the Phillies minor league staff, their breakout candidate for 16 was Dylan Cousins. And they actually, there was a reason for them to believe that. They made some changes to his swing. They, you know, they, they had, in 15, had told him, try not to hit home runs, basically, is what they told him. And he didn't. <laughs> And but he they, did. He didn't, and he did. Right. That's well, another they, life they, lesson. Yeah. You tweeted at the at the end of spring training. I remember. Yeah, and, they, and, and then, then the people I was talking to were right. Remember, he came up to. The he's trip a big to Houston boy, and we're like, "Wow, this guy is huge." Oh, he's, a, he's a big boy. He's a football player. Yeah, he was a defensive end that committed to University of Arizona. Rich yeah. Rodriguez really liked him. So let's talk about the two players on this list. Final. Is this not over yet? No, we'll wrap this up. But I, I I'm curious about these two guys, so I'm going to ask you about them before. Uh, we take off. Uh, first, Franklin Colomb, who kind of jumped onto the radar, what, a year and a half ago? Yeah, two years um, ago in Williamsport. Like, what, have, you, have, you, have you seen him pitch for yourself? Caleb has. I saw him pitch at the beginning of the year when he was really bad. Is he the German guy? Is he German or no? No. Okay. Never mind. No, he is Dominican. All right. And uh, – Really tall guy, and he's got. There's a, lot a big of, German Dominican expatriate he has community a, in uh, his Santa uncle. Domingo. I think is German. I'm pretty. You're right. I think is that true? Right. No, I made that. Okay. Up. I made that. Up. Uh, he's like guys. a really lanky guy who's got kind of weird. They were trying to f- work on his mechanics, and uh, it was his first time pitching in cold weather early in the year, and he was bad for the first like two or th- three or four starts, and then the rest of the year was like striking out ten guys per nine innings. He had sort of figured it out. Uh, He's not consistent yet, and you could say that probably about every twenty-year-old pitching prospect who's like six foot five or whatever he is. But, uh, but he throws the ball hard. Is that true? Throws the ball hard, mid nineties. Uh, he's got a good little breaking ball, and I think uh, he's got a shot. Uh, and the other guy you're going to ask about is is the guy that Sixto. Basically, everyone was talking about in spring training, like on the backfields. It said there's this guy, you know, this guy. This guy threw. We saw this guy Sixto Sanchez throw, and and somebody asked me, he was like, "Who is he?" I said, "I have no idea." And he didn't pitch an affiliated ball until halfway through the year. He went to the Gulf Coast League, and all of a sudden he's throwing ninety nine with like pinpoint command, and and uh, 
this was like an aha moment, I think, for a lot of people outside the organization. But apparently inside the organization, this guy was, uh, they considered this guy to be a fine from day one. Hmm. And he's got a really cool backstory that I wrote about at the end of the year. Uh, Phillies weren't even looking at him. They went to a showcase and he was there. He's a converted infielder. Signed him for like thirty grand. Uh, and, you know, Kilame was a was like a forty grand signing. Also, I mean, this the international success is real. That's another story. But uh, you know, Sanchez has a shot again. But he's like eighteen years old or nineteen years old. He pitched in the Gulf Coast League. Like it's so, it's impossible to predict this guy. But the strength of their system is probably in their low minors arms. Uh, and some of those guys will not make it. Most of them will not make it. But some of them will. So it sounds like a great late, name. He does. Uh, he also wore number 66 for most of the year, at least awesome. in the Gulf Coast League, or at least in spring training, he's wearing 66. So it was like Sixto Sanchez, 66. There was also a singer-songwriter named Sixto Rodriguez. Don't forget uh, about Sixto Lizcano, former Philly. Okay. But there was actually a movie, a documentary movie called Searching for Sixto. What was that? What do you mean? When did that come out? Um, oh, it's called. It was, actually, it was actually searching for sugar. I was say, I've seen that movie. Oh my god, was it good? It's very good, actually. Uh, Worth like watching. for the for the like the real nerds, like spring training, minor league spring training is is like a whatever. But one of the big minor league spring training storylines this this spring will be if Sixto can break camp with Lakewood. Hmm. Like if they can, if they are, think that they can be really aggressive with him and be like, look, like w- w- we want to see you pitch in a full season affiliate for the whole year. And they usually have like a six-man rotation at Lakewood anyway, so it's not like he'd be pitching every fifth. And day, pretty much at that point, you're you're just looking that he has command of his fastball, right? Enough well, to, to and, not kill anybody, right? And, in, in, and low, if you think a. he's ready for the test, I mean, he, you know, you could hold on to him and send him to Williamsport in 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 June, or you could say like, like you know, depending on how he looks, like we believe in you, go pitch in April and May against guys who are significantly older than you, and we'll see. Is Killamay going to be at Reading? No, nah, he'll be at Clearwater probably. Okay. He spent full year at Lakewood last year. Does Hoskins have a chance to break camp with the team? No. No, he'll go to Lehigh Valley. Okay. He spent all the last year in Double A. All right, but he's—I mean, how old is he? Twenty-four. He was a college pick, so he's a little older. What uh? What else are you uh? What are you what, what are you keeping busy with between now and spring training? Uh, shopping. Yeah, Christmas shopping. shopping. My birthday's on Sunday. Can, well, what are you twenty? 21, 22? 19. Nice. When is your wedding? October 20th of next year. So I'll miss the Phillies in the NLCS, but then I'll get back for the World Series. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, The honeymoon will be on the World Series parade, so I'll probably have to miss that too. The honeymoon, you mean? The honeymoon. You'll miss the honeymoon for the World Series parade? No, I'll miss the World Series parade. Gelb will cover that for us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, When are you guys heading down to Clearwater? It's going to be a really long spring. February something. When's pitchers and catchers? <laughs> yes, February. I believe. I think we leave on the twelfth. Nice. Pitchers and catchers report on the thirteenth. Which reminds me, I have to find out if my condo has a television, and if it has internet. Breen is really concerned about his Madden my, my abilities Madden in spring training. This is actually a real thing. He's oh, really, he's really concerned that he won't be able to play Madden for six weeks. What else do I do at night? Hang out with you. <laughs> Would you play Madden online, Breen? Yeah. What's your rank? No, I, I don't play it online that oh, much. No. But you just play with in the with league. People, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, the league kind of died. I, I saw that. Yeah, that's for another. So who do you play? Who do you play now? Like who do you play now? I'm actually I haven't played in a while. I play, I play like in person if I have friends over or something. But I, I kind of weaned off. 
I bought NFL Blitz, which is like from 1998. Yeah. I bought that for my PS2. I've been playing that. <laughs> well, anytime you want to play it, let me know. I've been practicing for you. Yeah, yeah. I smoked it twice. Green smoked me. Smoked we'll play in spring training. We'll talk about it. All right. Let's, we all uh, have to be good at something. <laughs> let's wrap this up. See ya.